Good morning, South Hills Church. I want to say thank you so much for joining us for this worship service today. Now today, I want to talk to you about weightlifting. And before you tune me out and you're wondering why are you talking to us about weightlifting, just listen. Because what I have to share with you this morning could, quite honestly, transform your life. In fact, it could, it could save your life. Now, before I talk to you about what is so important and critical for you to know about weightlifting, I do need to be very transparent and honest with you. Um, I am not an expert bodybuilder. Now, of course, that may come to a sh- as a surprise to you by looking at me, but I am not an expert bodybuilder by any means. But what I have to share with you this morning could transform your life. Frankly, it could save your life. In fact, it's so important I boil it down to just three words. Are you ready? This is what you need to know when it comes to weightlifting. These three words. Use a spotter. Use a spotter. Those are the three most important words that I want to share with you. And it really, truly could be life-transforming, life-saving for you. Now, you're saying, well, why do I need to know if I'm weightlifting to use a spotter? Well, in order to understand why this is so critical, why this is so important, I need to take you back in time. In fact, you need to come back in time with me and picture with me 16-year-old Scott, okay? So way back in time, 16-year-old Scott, I had just received my driver's license, and now as this new independent teenage boy and driving a car, I remember thinking to myself, I want to be big, bad, and buff, and so I need to get to the gym. And so as a 16-year-old, I remember driving my car to the gym, and this was uh, a, a place where we could, I could lift weights. And so I was excited to lift weights and get, get ripped. And I remember going into the gym, and I remember seeing some different you know, weightlifting apparatus and different things that you could do. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to start simple. I'm going to start with barbells. And so I grab a couple of barbells and I start lifting those, just getting warmed up on my way to body transformation. And so I'm doing that for a while. Um, But eventually I set that down and I just want to, I see the one, you know, kind of maybe the most iconic, you know, weightlifting apparatus, apparatus that there is out there. It's the bench press. Perhaps you're familiar with it. I brought a picture just in case you're not quite sure what a bench press is, but this is the bench press. This has been around for years when it comes to weightlifting. And in fact, um, for teenage boys, this is often, you know, what they use to brag about how strong they are. They, you know, throw around their bench press stats. And so this is uh, the, the, the weightlifting, you know, machine, or not machine, but uh, exercise tool that I was going to do. I was going to do the, the bench press. And so I approach the bench press and I get around the back and there's the bar that goes along the backside and it's, it's, it sits on this, this the support beams. And I went and I grabbed the bar and I lifted it and um, the bar was actually a little bit heavier than I thought. And so that probably should have been an indication right there to me about my physical condition at that time. Um, I should say, by the way, that when I brought myself to the gym, you just, again, picturing 16-year-old Scott, that I was, in fact, bringing all four foot 11, 98 pounds of me, okay? So that's what you need to picture when you see me in the gym approaching this bench press. I mean, I was massive at that time, and I still am, right? So I approach the bench press. I lift the bar. It's quite heavy, but I know I need to put weights on the si- each sides of the bar. So I go over where there's different um, 
plates, the, the discs, the weight discs. And so I, I start grabbing them. And of course, my, I, I've never done the bench press, by the way, before. Um, but I just know from TV, from movies, from pictures, that the, the weights look really cool when they cascade down. You know, you start big, and then you go smaller. So I started big, and then I went to the next size, and I went to the next size, and I went over to the other side, and I did the same thing. Big, next size, next size, and then I get down onto the bench, and I'm ready to lift the bar. Now, by some miracle, I was able to lift the bar over the lip of the supports, and immediately as I did that, the, the bar just bounced onto my chest. I mean, straight down, being a big thud, bounced on my chest, and all of a sudden, I was in panic mode because there was no way I was going to lift this off my chest. I mean, I was giving all my strength, everything, and it was just crushing me at that time. Again, I'm panicked at this point because it is crushing my chest, and I'm thinking to myself, how do I get this thing off me? So I start to think, well, I got to roll it. So I start to roll up and realize, oh, that's not a good idea because I'm going to roll this thing right onto my neck, and I'm not going to get over my head before I stop breathing. So that's not going to work. So I have this bar on my chest, and I start to roll it down my body, thinking, well, I'll just roll it off my body over my feet. But I get it down to about my waist and realize that this is a terrible idea too. And at that point, I just leveraged my body weight and I pushed, and the most amazing thing happened. Again, something that saved my life, but again, only because I was a complete novice at this whole weightlifting business. Um, when I had put the, <laughs> the, the weights on the the, the bar, I forgot to put on the locking collar. So that you put a collar typically on each side of the bar to lock the weights in place. I didn't do that. I didn't even know those things existed. But as I lifted my body, I pushed the bar and it had enough of an angle that the weights on the bar slid off on one side and crashed to the floor. Now, immediately as the, there is no weight on one side of the bar, what happens to the bar? It then flips over and then the weights crash down on the other side um, <laughs> of the bar. And it was just atrocious. It was just am amazingly loud. I, I, I just picture, you know, there was people in the gym, by the way, and they just probably heard just this crash, 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 crash. They look over and they see this poor, small, little teenage boy um, just you know, on the ground at this point because the, the bar had flipped me off. And um, I just put my head down. I put the weights away. I went back. I got in my car and I drove home. Now, fortunately, I was able to drive away um, alive. Um, I was bruised uh, both by my chest and my ego, but I was alive luckily. So this is why I tell you that when you weight lift, you need to use a spotter. You need to use a spotter. And you're saying, you know, so you're maybe wondering, well, what is a spotter? Let me show you what a picture of a spotter looks like. This is a spotter with someone who is doing the bench press. Now, the spotter does a couple of different things. A spotter is someone who is there, obviously, to potentially provide encouragement to the person who's doing the bench press, saying, you can do it. They're also there to help the, the process, and, and it's a smooth form and all that stuff, so the muscles can build. But it's, the spotter's also there to, like, help the person who's weightlifting in case it's too heavy and they can't get it up. And it also just pr simply protects them from having it fall on their face or chest, and it really, truly could be fatal. So, so that's why a spotter is so important. Now, when I went to go weightlifting, I did not ask anyone to go with me. I did it all by myself. 
And then when I got to the gym, I wasn't alone. There were other people in the gym that were working out, but I still didn't ask anyone for help. I still chose to do it on my own. And here's the challenge. And it's the challenge whether you're weightlifting or doing anything in life. There's a challenge for all of us to make a choice to say, am I going to do it alone or am I going to do it with others? Am I going to choose to be independent or interdependent with other people? But here's the deal. God has designed us to be in community. God has designed us to be not independent, but interdependent upon others. And there's benefits to being with other people. That's why we talk a lot about here at South Hills Church that we're better together. God has designed us to be relational, designed us to be in community. Two is better than one. And that we know that from the very beginning of creation that God said it's not good for people to be alone. He's created us for relationship. Two is better than one. And today I want to look at a passage. It's a passage that's written by King Solomon. King Solomon is famously known for his, uh, his wisdom and his, for his understanding. He wrote a book. And in this book, he talks about really simply some observations that he made regarding how we are better together, how two are better than one. And what I want to do is I want to look at these observations that he makes, and then we're going to look at them together so that we can have deeper understanding for how we can truly be better together and what that looks like in our lives. But we're going to, we're going to look at um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, and this is what it says. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, so what I want to do is look at this passage together, but I'll just give a, a little bit more context. Solomon, who again has great wisdom, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And as he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, he recognizes that we live in a, a, a terribly broken world. And in, in his view, he's looking at throughout this book a number of different things that don't work. A number of different things that are meaningless in terms of this broken world that we live in. And one of the things that he observed that's truly meaningless is um, a person who lives in isolation. A person who lives a, a lonely life. And in chapter 4, he's, he's talking, he, just before this part of these verses, he's talking, he talks about an observation that he makes. That he observed a man who worked all of his life and toiled all of his life and he built his business, but he never invested in relationships. He never built a community. And so at the end of the life, at the end of his life, this man was alone, isolated. He'd, he was even wondering, why did I do all this work and have no one to give it to? I have no one to, to, to experience all of this with. And Solomon observes that and says, that's misery. To, be, to live the, the end of your days in isolation and completely loneliness. And so here in chapter 4 with these verses, he says there's a better way. Not in isolation, not independence, but interdependence. That there's a better way to live. And he talks about the advantages of living in community with others. How we are better together. And so let's look at these together because he talks about them. And, um, and I will say this too. This is perhaps a, a passage that you've heard before read at a wedding. 
And I, I'll say this, that it's a, it's a pa- powerful passage for a wedding. In fact, I've used this passage at weddings that I've officiated. But this passage isn't only for marriage. This passage could be applied to work, to life, to family, all aspects of life. This is why this is, it's so important for us to understand that we're better together and the advantages for it. So it works in all these different arenas. In verse 9, it says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So the first thing that he points out is that two are better than one because they're more productive. And you know this to be true in your life as well. It's, it's, you can find yourself individually working on something, but if you have someone else come alongside you or a couple of people come alongside you, you find that you get more work done, that you can be more productive if there's more hands in the process. If you work together as a team, you get more accomplished. More is done. And that's what he's saying. You'll have a good return on your labor if you work together with other people. Now, that seems like a very basic observation, but here's the challenge that we have with it. Here's why sometimes it's a struggle for us to work with other people, why it's a struggle for us to ask other people to come join us in the work that we're doing. One of the struggles is this, that we um, if we ask some people to come help us, or if we work alongside somebody, that means that we also have to then share the benefits and share the credit. And sometimes we don't want to do that. Sometimes we want all of the benefits and all the credit to ourselves. And so we don't work with other people because we want to do it ourselves. And we get less done. We're not better together, but it's because we want the credit. I can't tell you how many marriages would be helped if the couples weren't concerned about who gets the credit. I can't tell you how many families would be assisted if they weren't worried about who gets the credit. I can't tell you how many work environments, how many workplaces would be more productive if people who are in the work environment weren't concerned about who gets the credit. I can't tell you how much more effective ministries and ministry leaders would be if they weren't concerned about who gets the credit. See, Solomon says you're better together. And if you're better together, then you get more done. But it also means then you share the credit, that you share the reward. In fact, this Sunday, uh, people are getting baptized at South Hills Church for the outdoor service. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's an opportunity to celebrate people's life being transformed by Jesus Christ. But if you talk to each one of those people who are getting baptized, they'll tell you that there's been a number of people that have probably walked with them along their spiritual journey. All of them playing a different part. And that's a beautiful thing. Each one of them get to celebrate that God is working that they've had a part that they've played in the, 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 that person's faith journey. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. He says this, uh, uh, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. The Apostle Paul recognizes, hey, listen, we're more productive as a team. I'll do my part, Apollos does his part, but God does his part, which is making it grow. And of course, all credit goes to him. This is the great mindset that we need to have as individuals in the church, as individuals in our family, as individuals in the world. It's not important for me to say, I need all the credit, but I'll share the credit because we're more productive. We get more return. And that's what Solomon wants us to understand. Now, the second thing that he wants to see is this. He says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, you've heard this before. You remember the old ad, I've fallen and I can't get up? 
Perhaps it's something that you remember. This is the same concept that, you know, if you've fallen and you don't have someone to help you up, that's a tragedy. He says, I pity the person who falls and has no one to lift them up. And so two are better than one because you'll have someone there to help lift you up. And how many of us need that in our lives? Each and every one of us have things in our life that cause us to stumble, that cause us to trip up, whether it's temptations or trials or just the burden of life that we find ourselves falling or or tripped up or, or beat down. And each and every one of us needs someone in our life to come alongside and say, hey, I'll help you. Let me serve you. Let me look out for you. Let me lift you up. Let me carry you. Whatever it might be, we need people in our lives who will do that. But here's what we, here's why, here's what stops that if we don't ask for help. So many of us, again, are so stuck on being independent that we don't recognize that God has given us a gift and a resource in people to be interdependent with because they can lift us up. And then on the flip side, then we can also help lift others up. And perhaps you know that. You've seen people who are struggling or hurting and they're not asking for help. Listen, don't wait. Jump in. Serve them. Help them. Lift them up. That's what this passage uh, that Solomon's trying to help us uh, recognize. That we're better together. And sometimes we're too afraid to ask. Sometimes we're too afraid to jump in. But we're better when we're together. When we're willing to lift each other up. And this isn't waiting for the church to do something, waiting for a pastor to step in. For some of you, you need to recognize there's people in your life that you need to lift up, that you need to make a phone call to, that you need to go visit, that you need to say, hey, how can I serve you this week? I recognize, I just, I want to be there. I want to be a friend that lifts you up. And, And that's a beautiful thing. That's what Solomon is talking about here. Then he says this in verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? <clears throat> this, is a, this is maybe hard for us to imagine at this point here in the summer of Tri-Cities that would ever be chilly or cold. But at some point, it will turn. The weather will turn and it will be cold. And there's something um, wonderful about being next to somebody when you're cold because it brings warmth. It brings comfort And in some extreme environments um, where mountain climbers or whatnot, it's it's essential that they stay close because that warmth is life-saving. And they're they're not there talking to each other or doing a bunch of things, but there's something about being close and personal with someone. There's that, that warmth, that comfort that comes with uh, being, having another person next to you. And I think it's a beautiful picture in many ways <clears throat> of not just a cold night, but just a life in general. There are challenges in life and there's just moments in life when we're better together, when there's just comfort in having someone nearby. Perhaps you've experienced that before of just the comfort of having someone go with you to a doctor's appointment. Perhaps you've experienced the comfort of having someone sit with you in a waiting room. Perhaps you've experienced the comfort of having someone with you in your home, in your living room after a loved one has passed away. Perhaps you've experienced the comfort of having someone sit next to you on a long drive. And you don't even have to be talking the whole time, but there's just comfort, warmth of someone being next to you. See, there's power in presence. Solomon's saying we're better together because even our presence can bring warmth and comfort to someone else's life. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a fantastic thing. Solomon doesn't want us to miss the beauty of of two being better than one. Now, verse 12, he goes on to say this. 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. First, he says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So he's saying, here's the other advantage of two over one, is that two people can defend themselves. One-on-one, it can be a hard battle if you, in terms of a fight or being overwhelmed by some circumstance, but two people can stand up to it. Now, you may be saying to yourself, I can't remember the last time I was in a fight and I needed backup. But of course, if you are ever in a fight, you want backup. But most of us probably aren't having those kinds of confrontations uh, on a regular basis. But it, the same principle still applies, that two can be better than one because they can still be support, defense, Uh, uh, of someone who's going to protect you. Uh, Parents do that for their kids. Spouses do that for each other. Friends do that for each other. I'm looking out for you. I'm saying something to encourage you. Uh, I'm actually maybe even challenging you because I want to protect you. And if you don't have those voices to challenge, correct, rebuke, um, encourage, um, we're, we're in trouble. We need to have those voices because they love us. They want to protect us. They want to defend us. And so we need those voices, the voice of a parent, the voice of a wise mentor, the the voice of a friend who's walking alongside you who says, I just love you and I want the very best for you. We need those voices. We need those people uh, to help us. And it's, it's a tragedy not to have that in our life. We're a danger to ourselves and others if we don't have other people in our lives saying, hey, guess what? You know, you're going to go off the cliff here. Or oh, watch out, you're, you're going to take a wrong turn. We need those voices in our life. And this, this idea of protection and defense can happen whether you're with someone or whether you're not with someone. See, there's ways that you can protect somebody and defend somebody without even being present. You're saying, well, how could I defend somebody? How can I protect somebody if I'm not with them? Well, by doing some very simple things. You're in a conversation, someone's, your, your friend's name is brought up, a family member's name is brought up, a coworker's name is brought up. You can kill gossip in that conversation. They're not there, but you're defending them. You're, you're standing up for them. You're protecting them. In that conversation where they're not there, you can also say, hey, I want to affirm them or praise them. You're standing up for them. You're defending them, their view, what they contribute to this family, to this work environment, to your friendship circle. You're standing up for them, defending them. There's other ways that you can defend people. You can defend them in the, in the work of prayer, intercessory prayer. We're all in a spiritual battle and it's overwhelming. But I want people in my life who are praying for me. And you want people in your life who are praying for you, who are standing with you in battle, saying, hey, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But we, wanna, we, wanna, we recognize that there's a real enemy, and, but there's a real God who stands above it all that we can intercede to so we can fight the battle together. I have a, a memory early in my life of my mom having a friend come over. Her name was Donna. She would come over on a weekly basis for an hour every week. She would come over. They would sit together and they would pray. They'd do battle. They would, they would pray for each other in the, the challenges that they're facing, the challenges that others are facing. They went to battle. They defend each other. Two are better than one. And that can play out in lots of different ways. And Solomon wants us to get it, that two are better than one because there's defense, there's protection. But then he makes this statement at the end of verse 12 that stands out because it's so different. He says this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, this is interesting because the entire time Solomon is saying two, 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 two. Now, at the end of verse 12, what does he say? Three. It sticks out. 
it stands out. This is the climax of the passage. And the rabbis, when they read this, they knew immediately what Solomon was talking about. They knew when Solomon's talking about that third person, the third strand, that he was talking about God. He's talking about the manifest presence of God, that God brings even greater strength. Yes, two's better than one, but three is even greater. And that third person is a relationship with God. God has designed us to be in, in relationship with people. And we're better together. But he's also created us to be in relationship with him. And it's not just that we have one strand off to the side that we, you know, we tug on that one strand every once in a while when we have a flat tire. We're like, God, we need your help. Or, you know, God, I need, you know, I'm having a little problems and it's just kind of this, you know, pocket-sized God that you pull out every once in a while. No, he's saying that it's intertwined that you have God woven into the very fabric of your life, that Jesus is the center of your life. This is where you find strength. This is where you find satisfaction. See, community is good. Companionship is good. We are better together, but God has created us for companionship, for community, for relationship with him. And we won't ultimately be satisfied. We won't ultimately um, find freedom from isolation and loneliness without a true and genuine relationship with him. It, there's this void that all of us have for a, a real and genuine relationship with our creator, the creator God. And that void can't be filled by other things. Just picture with me the small child whose father is in the military and their father has been deployed overseas for an extended period of time. For that child, you can bring friends into their life. That's good. For that child, you can bring other family members into their life. That's great. It's essential. They need it. But will it replace the void that is there from a father that's missing, that's not back, who's away? See, for that child, they can have friendships, they can have family, but they still long to get up in the morning and have breakfast with dad to have dad come to the soccer game and, you know, win or lose, goal or not, take him out for ice cream afterwards. That child still longs for dad to come in at night and tell a dad joke and, and tuck him in, pray for him. See, there's still something that's missing, a void that they have that only can be filled by a father in the same way for each and every one of us. There's a void that we have that can only be filled by a relationship with our heavenly father. We are better together. There is no doubt about that. Solomon has given us all the advantages, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's a relationship with God that ultimately satisfies, that ultimately strengthens us and strengthens our relationships when we allow God to be woven into the very center, the very fabric of who we are. That's my prayer for us, South Hills Church, that we would be a, a people who um, long for that connection with God, and that as a church, we have God woven in, that Jesus is the very center of all that we do. So that when we serve, when we work, when we go out into the community and the different places that God has us, we can have an impact and influence because God is at the center. Woven into the very fabric of it that we know, yes, we are loved, that we are known, that we have, we have, we have a future and a hope, and that we have that hope to share with others. Some of you are saying, well, I want that. I want to have that kind of relationship. You're saying, well, well how does that work? Well, let me tell you this. It, it, it's, it's, it's recognizing that there's a God that does love you. There's a God that does want to have a relationship with you. 
You're saying, well, how do I do that? Because I don't even, I can't even see God. I don't even know what he looks like. Well, here's the beauty. We do know what he looks like. Because again, God is a relational God. He can't, we can't see God, but you know what he did? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to enter into humanity so that we could see God, so that we could know him. And so that through faith in his work on the cross, we could be brought into the family of God. This is what God has done for us. He's initiated a relationship with us. Even when we're running the opposite direction, even when we don't deserve it, we've done nothing to earn it, he initiates. He came to be with us. He's a relational God. And we get to see Jesus. And we can know Jesus. And we can recognize that because of who Jesus is and what he has done, he set aside um, all the advantages of deity. And he came to be with us, enter into humanity. And then he set aside all the advantages of, of humanity and he took the cross to pay for our sins so that there would be nothing that would separate us from, the heavenly fa- from our heavenly father. This is what Jesus has done. So it's coming to him, recognizing, God, you're relational. And I want a relationship back with you. And because of who Jesus is and what he's done, I, I, I trust that. I believe in that. And I want to invite, I ask that you would um, allow me to have that relationship. And he, he'll respond. He's a relational God. You put your trust in him. And he says he'll, he'll, he'll enter into your life. And he'll walk with you for, throughout eternity. This is the beauty of what God has promised to us through Jesus Christ. And what I want to do as we close this time is I want to invite you as we pray. If you're here, you're, you're listening, and you're saying, hey, I want that, to give you an opportunity to respond. And if you have that relationship already, it's an opportunity for you to say, God, thank you, and help me to continue to walk with you in community and strength because of who he is. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for the fact that you are a relational God, that you want a relationship with us, and you've made it possible for us to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. That by his, through his work on the cross, um, our sins have been forgiven. And by simply expressing faith in you, we can have new life. We can find forgiveness and freedom. And we can enter into your family because of your work. We thank you for that. And God, I pray um, that you would um, help us to be a community of people that recognizes that we are better together. We're, we're better because you have made us relational as well. You've made us and you've, you've wired us to be connected to others. So Lord, help us to look for ways that we can partner and team with others, not wanting to get credit, but to get you the credit. Lord, help us to look for ways that we can lift others up or come alongside others and bring comfort and warmth. Help us, Lord, to be people who are also looking for ways to defend, to protect, to care for those that you've placed in our life. We thank you that all of that is because of what you have done for us. We pray that you would do a work in us so that we can make a difference in the lives of others for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.